If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Sue Cunningham is our guest today. We're really happy to have her. Sue's a dressage specialist. She's a judge, judge educator and Sue's actually getting ready now to go over to try on for the World Equestrian Games where she's on the ground jury. How are you Sue? Hi, Glenis. I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, that's okay. Wonderful to be here. Sue, I'd really like to start off with a specialist quote that you use. You know, it could be one that you use while you're teaching or one that you find inspiring. Well, I guess my favourite quote came from my father, which was, if you want to get on in life, you have to follow your heart. Okay. So that would be my favourite quote, I think, for today. I think it's quite hard in the horse industry because a lot of people want to work with horses. But then you see some people give up, oh, I wanted to work with horses, but then I ended up in this boring career, you know. And I teach a lot of people who've come in, who've ridden when they were younger, wanted to work with horses, wanted to do something with horses, and then they start riding quite late or their kids ride because they always wanted to do it. So, yeah, I think it's really brave to be able to follow your heart and uh, good on you for doing it, yeah. Well, I think I've been lucky and mm. I've had opportunities. I had to wait a long time. I was 16 when I got my first horse and was made to wait. I think my parents hoped I would grow out of the virus that was horses. <laughs> uh, and the worst part is I think I've just grown further and further into it. There's no escape. I think once you're born with the gene, mm. Um, mm. it's very difficult to let it go. Yeah, yeah, I was actually 16 as well and I'd left school and only left school yeah. early because... I wanted to buy a horse and I had to buy it myself. So, you know, I ended up later going back to uni, yeah. but, but well, 16. That's yeah. That, yeah, that's exactly what I did too. Mm. I went mm. back to uni later. I was 30 when I went back to uni. But I had my first horse at 16 and I, my father bought the horse, but I had to buy the saddle and the bridle. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. a process, but it does make you appreciate the opportunity. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I went back to uni, I only did that because I was already coaching and I wanted a particular job and the job wanted someone with a degree. So I enrolled in the degree, applied for the job, got the job and then thought, hmm, I better finish this degree. But it was, yeah, it was to do with horses anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell okay. me about, because you got your first horse when you were 16, what were your first memories of horses? Oh, look, my first memories were sitting with my grandfather, mm -hmm. two grandfathers, one of whom was a riding instructor in South Africa. He was English and had been sent out there, and the other was a light horseman. So the stories were oh, okay. yep. hours long and just engrossing, and I think that just nurtured my interest in horses so mm. from a tiny person, really. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. And then you've gone on. What about your career? You know, like you, what started you? Because you really specialise as judge. I mean, you're travelling all over the world. You're going to the World Equestrian Games now. But what started you to look at judging? Oh, okay. I, I was thoroughly enjoying my riding yep. and decided that I wanted to put something back into the sport. 
but also that I wanted to have something I would do. I mean, one never knows what life is going to throw at you, and I knew I wanted to be involved with horses. Yes. So I thought that judging would be a way to go, and that was 30-odd years ago now when I decided. But for the horses, I was a hack rider at the shows and that sort of thing, and a little bit bored with that whole scene, although you know it's all very exciting, and I was at the Royal Easter Show. And I went in 1984, I went to Los Angeles to the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and I watched Rainer Klimka mm. and Anna Greta Jansen riding, and I came home saying, that's for me, I am going to do that. I didn't ever quite make it to the Olympic Games as a rider, but I might almost get there as a judge. Yep, yep. And I came home absolutely passionate about dressage. Mm-hmm. And in my youth, I had been a competitive ballroom dancer, and the riding was just like dancing when you – get the steps together and there's that, that sort of total rhythm and harmony between the two of you, it's absolutely addictive and you have to have more of it. Yep. So that's yep. kind of how I started with dressage, really. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So as a dressage rider and competitor, the ones that do get to the top, the ones that keep persisting, what do you think are the skills that they need to be able to be a good dressage rider and character traits as well, not just skills, character traits. Look, I think these riders are disciplined, they're focused, they're talented, they have a natural ability. You have to have that. I think you can learn to ride, but to get to the top, I think you have to have some innate ability to communicate with the horse. You need a thorough understanding of anatomy, theirs and ours, and just total dedication. Their lives are surrounded by horses. I don't think you see a serious competitor, a serious Olympic dressage rider that does anything other than ride Mm. in the various forms. So I think you need that. And you need money and you need opportunity and to a large extent luck because you've got to be able to find a good horse that's going to do that for you, keep it sound, have one coming up because they do have a shelf life for horses Mm -hmm. and you need all of that all happening all falling into place for you at the right time and good on them you know I think they totally dedicate their lives to the sport yeah yeah I I think you know just working and being on sort of squads and teams and everything you work with a few different sports psychologists and sometimes they come in and say yeah but what complementary sports do you have if you're riding and competing we go what do you mean there's no complementary sports there's no it's not like that it's not like if you're a golfer you might play tennis as well no if you ride you ride and that's your sport and then you you know if you're really focused and really dedicated you focus on your sport and if you ended up doing anything complimentary it's usually mixing feeds and rugging horses and Uh you know picking up manure and and doing all the other odds and ends that you need to do but yeah it is it's that total dedication that you need to have well that's true too I think however that modern day riders are aware of the need for exercise other than just the muscles that Mm. you use to ride Mm. so I think there's a fair bit of yoga and other Complementary exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, one's physical fitness is vital and nutrition. So, Mm, mm. you know, like any athlete, I think there's a much more awareness of that than there used to be. Yes, and and probably the development of core skills and the complementary there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, it's something that um, I think as we become more aware of the requirements of the horse and as the sport gets better and better, 
You know, we're in the 21st century now, so we're always looking at expanding our ideas. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's true. And we have such fantastic technological developments. Mm. You know, the horses that you can sit on that can measure your seat pressure, your leg pressure. And we've got many, many more sophisticated tools these days as well to help. Mm. So it makes the sport quite exciting, mm. I think. Mm. Mm. Okay. Now, you've talked before about, I think you went to Los Angeles and uh, was it 72? 72? 84. Uh, sorry, 84. 84. 84. Yeah. And um, talking about Rhino and you, he inspired yeah. you. Who else has helped you along the way or who's inspired you? Oh, look, I have been so lucky. I've had four major ladies, I guess, in my life who have helped me. Um, one who is unfortunately no longer with us now, Judy Cubitt, mm-hmm. and Carolyn Lieutenant, and Irene Beckles Marine, who's in Queensland. Yep. I've just been extremely lucky to have those people help me along the way. So you know, they've helped me with my writing. They helped with my judging. They pushed and prodded and poked me to continue. And there are times when I thought, well, I've probably had enough. I could just rest now. <laughs> no, there, is, there is no rest. Kept you going. Yeah, yep. her philosophy yep. was that you had to replace yourself in this sport and mm. – I was her replacement. Okay. So, okay. Um, have you got a replacement ready? Lucky. Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I'm grooming several people to take my place. I was just going to ask you if you've got one replacement or several, but it's good to hear that you've got several. I have several in case one flags, yes. Yeah. Well, it's expanding the sport as well. If you have several and they have several and they have several, yes. then, um, yeah, we're expanding the sport. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's the only way we're going to make it grow, really. And, you know, as mm, we mm. all work quite hard, we're all volunteers, and there is a life outside of horses, but I have to say we don't access it very often. <laughs> I think yes, we all need yeah. a couple of people to take our places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what oh, about sorry. horses? I meant, to say, I meant to say there was one other person who did make a significant difference to me, yes. and that was Sandra Pearson Adams, and she's an English rider yeah. up on the north coast. She's actually had a – well, not only has she been a guest, but she's had a few other people mention her as well. Oh, well, there you go. She's been extremely influential, especially for my riding. So um, I'm very grateful Mm -hmm. to her Mm -hmm. as well. Good. Okay. And horses? Horses. I had one special horse. I guess everybody does. Mm. I had him for 18 years, and he's the horse that I was hacking on. Then I dressaged him. Then I hunted him in the hunt season for five years and mm-hmm. rode to Peace and George and was just my soulmate. So, okay. Yes, wonderful, wonderful horse. And then mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. another influential horse with a, a grey mare that was difficult and just changed my riding philosophy completely because with mares you need to negotiate. Yes. And suddenly I had to negotiate. As a judge, you know, you're fairly decisive. As a coach, you're generally in charge, mm-hmm. and suddenly I was neither of those things. And <laughs> she, she taught me respect mm-hmm. and a totally different approach to riding. So I, there have been mm-hmm. other horses. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a one. I had a young, wonderful young horse that I had to sell due to ill health, but he's still going, and he's about to start Pre St George this year with another rider. So Good. I've been very, I think, very lucky to. I mean, everybody has one special horse. Um, but I've mm, managed mm. to have two others as well. So That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Thinking about those times, what's been your proudest moment? Gosh, I've had many moments. I've been lucky, I think. I've had, when it comes to horses, sometimes just 
staying on in a difficult situation <laughs> makes you feel Can pretty be. good yep. and smug about things. You know, yep. I yep. manage that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, don't, I honestly don't have a standout moment in terms of my writing. One of the most enjoyable events for me was to be in the Grand Parade at the Royal Esther show at the old showground. So it was the last Grand Parade. Yes of that era and I was in that parade and about the second last horse to leave the arena. It was very sad but it was yeah. exciting and wonderful to have been part of all of that. And I've mm-hmm. been I haven't been hugely successful in my riding career. I've always been just behind the professionals and I figured that when if I could maintain that place in my riding I would be delighted and I've managed to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess the yeah, that sums it up probably. Yep. Some people say that they have sprinklings of, you know, it's not one proud moment, it's it's sprinkled all the way through. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I think that's yeah. riding, you know, that's owning a horse really. It's a challenge, it's heartbreaking, it's exciting, you know, it's the whole gamut of yes. relations, mm. of emotions. Mm. <laughs> but that's why we still do it, I guess. Yeah. In all that time, you know, because you said it can be heartbreaking, what's been your biggest challenge? Yeah, you're talking about when owning horses. Mm, something to do or, with horses, yeah. Well, something to so, do with horses. Yeah, yeah, it was something that stands out for you, you know, because we're sort of talking about, you know, your life with horses oh, okay. and as a judge and, you know, but, but all over. And if there's something there which may have been yes. uh, something different but it's affected your life with horses. Yep. yep. Well, it was actually it's been more recent than that. I've been very lucky to be promoted through the judging ranks for para equestrian. Mm-hmm. And I've been, for the last four years, I've been a member of the FEI Technical Committee for Para Equestrian, which yep. is, you know, has been a super honour and um, we've not had an Australian on the committee before. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And in that process, I also did some upgrading exams for para. Yep. And my very first international competition was in Wergem in Belgium, I was thinking that they would probably, knowing that I was quite new, they would just put me on the long side somewhere. But in fact, <laughs> the first competition of the day, on the first day, I was at sea and there's television <laughs> cameras, there's the world watching and I was challenging, would sum it up, I think, pretty well. It was very <laughs> exciting, but my gosh, I was just thinking, oh, couldn't they have just tucked me away somewhere so I could get a bit of a feel for this, but mm-hmm. not straight in at the deep end. Okay. So, and that was a few years back now. And, and tell me what you did to overcome that challenge because, you know, you could have just turned away and said, oh, sorry, I feel sick. It's not going to do it. Can't <laughs> do it. But tell me what you did, no. what was going through your mind to get over that challenge. Well, the thing is I, I feel sick was most of, <laughs> the most important thing in my mind. I'm thinking it's too embarrassing. You can't do that here. And then it's a case of, and I can't speak and my mouth has gone dry and I can barely speak to the pencil beside me and my heart is going to leap out of my throat and then the horse comes down the centre line and it's like, right, someone years ago told me that as a judge you go into the judging zone mm-hmm. and you don't see or hear anything other than what is going on right in front of you yep. and that's a very secure place to be. You have to rely on your knowledge, you have to have confidence in your knowledge and then you go into that place and then it's okay. Then you forget that the TV cameras are there, that there's somebody sending your marks out as you give them around the world and that everybody is watching. Those thoughts just disappear and you simply get on with the job. So being able to get into the judging zone, though, you know, to just 
just to put it all in perspective, to get into the judging zone, you're only able to do that because of your years of judging, of training, of doing it, of being there. And that's the only reason that you could get into that judging zone. So really, they've put you in the right place for you to rise to the challenge and and you're able to do it. Well, you have to, mm. as a judge, because you're influencing, well, your task is to rank the field and because mm. there are people who livelihoods depend on your decision. Mm -hmm. There are breeders who want their horses to win. There are riders who are looking for scores to get to the Olympic Games. There's enormous responsibility in coming up with the right mark for the right movement, Mm -hmm. and you have to trust your knowledge. And to get to that point, there are many, many years of training that goes there. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as a judge educator, I'm always talking to everybody else about the same thing. So I'm reinforcing and growing my own knowledge as I go along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sounds a bit egotistical, but it's, you have, I guess yeah. it's like anybody else. It's like someone who makes Princess Di's wedding gown. When you cut the material for the first time, you have to know that you're, you know, it's terrifying, but yes. you know that once you start, it's mm. going to be the gown she wanted. Mm. It's a bit the same with the judging. Mm-hmm. Once you start, you have to just, just trust true. that yep. you're going to come up with the right marks. Yep. yep. And that carries you through. All right. I want you to think about, still being a judge, but judge and coach, you know, the combination of the two, a common time where riders almost throw away marks that could be improved if you came in as a coach and said, change this and change that and that will increase your score. Have you got something there? Yes. I mean, that's really what we do. It's what I do for Dressage New South Wales, Mm -hmm. for most clubs, for interstate, around Australia. We just, we run these protocol days where people actually ride at Hess and we judge it, but we judge it from the point of view that, you know, if you gave that half halt, you know, before the corner, then the corner would be better balanced and then you would be able to turn onto the centre line and then there's another mark for that particular movement. So that's the sort of thing that I quite enjoy doing all of that work and the coaching really then makes that possible. I can say to them, you needed to have started that movement earlier or you needed to have made the turn sharper or whatever. So the coaching balances quite well and goes hand in hand with the judging. And the seminars that we run, we try and invite the coaches to come along because we all share the responsibility. We all want the same thing. We want those horses and riders to get to the top and we need to be saying the same thing yep. to them. So, um, yep. I thoroughly and I initially I did the coaching so that when I travelled interstate I was a bit more of a package that people could use. Mm-hmm. So you know it's very expensive to fly us all around, and so now what I do is go and judge at a competition, and then the next day we have a protocol day or mm-hmm. we give some lessons. It just makes it more worthwhile for the people to have me there. Yep. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Okay, so you've talked at the protocol day and you've talked about some of the things you would say would be the, you know, the half halt to prepare for the corners to start a movement earlier. Have you got one problem that you see above all or one that you can just give us a bit more detail about? Just one of the things that you would, if you're at a protocol day, you would teach. I saw this a few times yesterday. This is how you fix it. Look, I think 
probably not one specific thing, but I think that if the riders know mm-hmm. what is required of the particular movement, and then if they have that in mind with what the judges are looking for, then it's not all that difficult to to pull that off. And I think that maybe just the the speed with which some riders approach a dressage test. I know it's you know it's probably a scary six minutes to be in there, and they're winning a gold medal at the Olympic Games for holding their breath for six minutes. <laughs> but there is no need to speed it up so that like somebody sped up the film. You know, they yep. can actually take their time and be able to show the horse to its best ability and to show off its talents. And, you know, the clever riders can do that. And they can also skillfully hide a, perhaps a one-sided horse, a horse that's not so supple on both reins. Mm-hmm. So I think that the tempo and the softness, what we want to see in dressage, is this more of an elastic connection with your horse and the horse in some more self-carriage and a happy picture so that the horse is into the bridle, into hands that he finds comforting and confident to be there and willing to do the job. And I think, you know, we look at Edward Gow on Totalus and so probably not the world's best horse and everyone will be quick to criticise his extensions and all the rest of it. But the thing that was inescapable was the magic between the two of them, the communication, the harmony, the honesty and trust was out there for everyone to see and that I mean I get goosebumps just thinking about it now I saw them in Kentucky and it was just truly inspiring and if we could ride towards that Mm -hmm. if we could capture any of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of us that would be fantastic Mm -hmm. and I think others have come along since and have done a really good job but he just had a quality that was magic really yep yeah yeah that's, that's put chills down my spine. I'm sure it's going to do for a lot of the listeners too. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. Now, Sue, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Oh, I was, as I said earlier in our conversation, I have balls full of hosting books, um, as do we all. Mm, um, mm. Mary, Mary Longdon wrote yes. a book called Coach with Courage. Yep. And it's one that I often refer to a little because of my para-equestrian connection with her. But she's an amazing woman, and mm-hmm. it's just one of those books that's a bit dog-eared on my shelf when I'm thinking of exercises or I'm thinking of a philosophy or I've got a person I need to try and reach and I need more ammunition to do that, then I do turn to that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there I don't think I've read a novel in in a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all mm-hmm. of it is usually all my reading. If there's any spare time, I pick up and read something else about horses. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, but I find that book quite helpful. All right. Now, I know that you're off to New Zealand and Milan and Tryon (laughs) and all over the world, basically. (laughs) Just tell us a bit, you know, is that what your future holds? That's what you're looking forward to? More travel, more judging, more? Well, yes. Yes, I am looking forward to that. I think, you know, I've got lots of grey hair and I'm getting to the retirement age of judging. And Mm -hmm. for me, it you know, there will be a time when it's, I should step aside and let all the younger people come through because that's what the sport is about. But for these four years that I've been on the FEI committee have really been quite an extraordinary journey. And I've travelled to countries and judged in places that I never would have imagined 10 years ago that I would be doing anything like this. So, yes, I am going to take advantage of being invited to these places. I'm going to Tokyo 
as well mm-hmm. this year. So 2018 was looking pretty busy. Okay. But each time I go, you know, you just you just learn a bit more about the countries, about their style of writing. For years, I've been the education director for judging in Malaysia and Singapore. Mm-hmm. So I was in Malaysia again just recently, and I have thoroughly enjoyed taking the judge, well, creating judges there, creating a program for them and promoting them and promoting the sport in those countries too. So I, that's what I mean when I said to you earlier, I really have been in the right place at the right time. I've been very lucky to have people steer me in the right direction so I've been able to work in many different places. So, mm-hmm. yep, I'm looking forward. New Zealand is in March and I've got Japan in April and I've got Italy in June and then we've got America. Okay, um, good. <laughs> That's enough. I'm yeah. very, I'm very honoured and privileged to be able to be doing all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's great. And I guess from there, I'll um, probably look at retiring and slowing down. But I'm still working with the judges here in New South Wales, and that's proving to be thoroughly rewarding as well. I was going to say, hopefully, you still keep working with the judges who are taking over. That you, you know, you've sort of got a group of judges that you're, um, you've got taking over from you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we do. It'll be fine. The system's working. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Sue, would you be able to sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners, please? Goodness me. (laughs) I think, I guess I have always had an open mind. I've Mm -hmm. tried to have an open mind. I've tried to be respectful. I've tried to be scrupulously honest, sometimes getting myself into trouble. But I think those things, honesty is important and respectful to the elders who are able to pass on this information is important. Mm -hmm. And then take advantage of the opportunities that come your way, if you can, Mm -hmm. and put back into the sport. My father used to say life was a set of scales and that you got out of it what you put into it. And I think that that's in this sport, that's exactly how it is. The more you put into it, the more reward you get from it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that probably would be my philosophy, I think. Okay, okay. All right, and Sue, how can people contact you? I'm on the Equestrian Australia website. I'm on the Dressage New South Wales website. They can contact me by email. It's very easy to find me. Okay. The other thing is, too, that your details will be available on horsechats.com slash Sue Cunningham. We will have a page set up for your interview. Oh, thank you. Okay. That's okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I hope somebody listens to it. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Sue, thanks very All much right. for your time today. It's been very good talking to you, and um, I'm sure that we'd love to talk to you again sometime. It's been very engaging. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much, Bernice. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. You're doing a good job. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.